Well, dear sisters and brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. It's just so hard to come up after that. <laughs> I mean, really, that, the level of cuteness up there in the front, wow. Anyway, I hope you get to use the Bible camps. Uh, they really are a great gift to families and children and adults as well. So we have, uh, we have a setting here. Jesus has been teaching at the temple. Uh, he has been doing that for a while as we lead into this uh, gospel reading. And the, and the one that's right in front of it needs to be looked at for just a second because it's the story about the widow's might. And I think it sets up this conversation. He is with the disciples and they watch as people are coming, some with trumpets uh, to announce their arrival as they come to bring their offering, uh, making a big show of how much money they're putting in the coffers. And then they see this widow coming and here she puts in her last coins, counting up to about a penny. And Jesus says these words, she's put in her whole self. She's put in her whole self. And then now comes this conversation about the temple. And they're living at the pinnacle of a time period where the, this gorgeous, absolutely striking temple compound has been created. King Herod, after he had become king in about 36 BCE, uh, decided that the temple was just not adequate and that he wanted a showpiece and so he has his engineers go to work and they build a wall around three adjacent hills and then they build this wall all the way up and then backfill. And then on the, this very large compound, which still now exists today, that footprint does, they built the temple or rebuilt the temple and then built the portico and the steps on the south, the archway, the ar entrance from the west and built this beautiful, beautiful archway on the east side, the eastern gate, the golden gate. And then there was a huge compound where Gentiles could come. They could learn about what it meant to be a follower of Yahweh. And then there was a place where only Jews could go enter into. There was a woman's compound where they could observe and watch. And then finally a place where only the priests could go. But in his desire to build this most magnificent of temples, he had lined almost every part of the temple itself with gold and precious and semi-precious stones. It was a piece of artwork. And Jesus has this horrible word to bring. There will be a day when all of this is gone and not one stone will be left upon another. And within their lifetime, that all comes to fruition. So as we listen to this word from Jesus, we need to be mindful, first of all, of Jesus and his audience as they're hearing these horrible words coming from their rabbi's mouth. But then I also want you to think about Luke's community because they're living post 70 AD when these events actually take place. They're hearing those words from Jesus written in the Gospel of Luke, having lived into this moment that Christ is talking about. And then I want us to think about what does it mean for us today 
How do we understand these apocalyptic prophetic words? For Jesus, he's setting folks up to announce and to tell them about his arrest and death on the cross and being raised after three days. And that there will be folks that are going to come after him, after he's ascended into heaven, that are going to tell one and all that their Jesus returned. But then he announces the destruction of the temple and how all this is still not going to really let people know that's not going to be the signs. And then there's these deep, horrible words about families breaking down, communities of faith breaking down, and where we turn one another in, we announce that he's a traitor or she's preaching the wrong thing, and people being arrested and some being put to death. How do we make sense of all that? And then I really want you to think about Luke's community hearing those words. For sure, the gospel is written post-70 AD. The revolt started in 66, and Jerusalem was sacked in 70. And those stones that Jesus is pointing to in this gospel are now laying on the street below, where the priests with bars had been forced to push them off the summit, and where the temple had been dismantled. And then finally, after they had destroyed their life's work, then most of them were thrown over the edge to their death. Josephus in the history talks about the streets of Jerusalem running ankle deep with blood of people being put to death. It was this horrific moment. And here is this community that survived all that. They've lived through all that. They've lived through the dispersion of being forced to leave their homes and scattered out into the Roman Empire. They know exactly what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus says, your brother's going to turn you in, your dad's going to turn you in. And they certainly would have experienced family members at this point being put to death. So here's this word that comes to them. They certainly understood this apocalyptic moment because they for sure had lived in it and through it and had come out the other side. But then how do we understand this? One of my favorite professors, Dr. Ferdy, said these are one of those texts that if you're not living in that kind of day and time, you should just close the book and move on. Because if you're not living in those moments, if you're not in that kind of turmoil, then we start putting our own imprint on this text. And we can get weird in about three steps. We've all listened to the stories that have unfolded over the last 40, 50 years of prophets rising up in the United States and saying, I've got the date, I've got the date. I know when Jesus is returning. And we need to sell everything we have and we're gonna move up in the mountains, right? And how embarrassing it is when you finally have to realize, well, that guy was wrong. And that's the nice ones. We've had plenty of stories that have unfolded in our world where folks have convinced people that we need to commit suicide, that we're gonna raise ourselves up and be, meet Jesus in the air. We have the horrible story of Jim Jones when hundreds of people 
killed themselves knowing that they were going to meet Christ in their death. When we have these apocalyptic moments, if we're not living in them, we should just leave them alone for sure. Because they just don't match our world. I've been a pastor for 41 years. Never have I been drugged in front of the governor and having to testify. Cops did not show up at my office door. I've not heard of one of you being in drug in front of a judge, forced to talk about Jesus Christ. It is simply not the world that we live in, and certainly not here in South Dakota. The only time I've ever seen this text be used properly was in 2013, I'd been invited by the bishop in Cameroon to come and teach at the seminary and the hospital that we had worked on, all kinds of people from South Dakota, and Garabali was ready for its rededication. And so it was going to be this huge celebration as we, as we bless this brand new rebuilt hospital. But as we arrived in Cameroon, we were hearing about violence taking place in Central African Republic and that people were being killed and murdered, that Celica was trying to take over the country and that refugees were starting to come over the border. And when we made it into Ngaundari, when we were there to be briefed and start the work that we were needing to do, there was one night when the airplanes started coming into this very small airport. And I know airplanes a little bit, and it was C-17s, United States Air Force. And I finally go out and watch, and every 20 minutes, a C-17 is landing. And we find out in the morning that they're bringing French Foreign Legion troops, paratroopers, in to protect Cameroon. So we go out the next morning and we greet the soldiers, we bring some coffee, we have some moments, we say a prayer with them, and, and they leave as they go out to defend this nation. And then when we arrive in Garabalai, here are troops protecting us from France, and here are people arriving at the hospital now with wounds, gunshot wounds, machetes, burns that have been delivered by Celica. And then the day before Thanksgiving, here come all the pastors from Western Central African Republic, bedraggled, starving, hungry, dehydrated, scared to death. They come with their children and their wives and here comes their bishop and a really good friend of mine, Bishop Golicki and his wife. And I know she has a heart condition and he tells me the story that Muslim friends had come and said, you have to leave right now. There are people coming to kill you. And so he grabbed his wife and her medicine and out into the dark they had come. And they had journeyed about 50 miles to get to Garabali. And so we fed them and we made sure they had a place to get bathed and looked after and we started looking for housing for their spouse and children. And then on Thanksgiving Day, we had a worship service where we gave thanks, one, that they were alive. But he had asked that, I want to preach. And he preached on this text. And I watched as those pastors received this word because, in fact, they had all lived through every piece of this. And then I watched a bishop bless his pastors 
and we concluded the worship service. They kissed their spouses and their children, and all those pastors went back to preach the word, to testify. They each had congregations that they needed to take care of. They knew that there were refugees that arrived at their church that they served. It was a place where you could see the gospel do its work of transforming scared, scared to death folks and being reminded that they would have the words that they needed when they preached in the next days to come. This is a story for people who are in dire straits, but there's something that we can take from it. There is something that we can take from it. The power of Jesus Christ, him crucified and raised from the dead, inviting us into a future where he is still in charge, no matter what. Whenever a church has a new pastor, a new preacher, there will be growth, but by having growth, you're going to change. You're not going to be the same. Pastor is not going to preach like I do, but he will have the same story. He will still tell you about Jesus. But you're going to become a different people, and there will be some of you that don't like him, some of you that do like him. But Jesus is still the center of this church. And when we forget that, then we are like Herod, thinking that if we just make it a little bit more beautiful, if we just put a little bit more spit and polish on it, that we'll have it all together. We need to re be reminded regularly, like those pastors were in Central African Republic, that the center of the church is Jesus Christ, and our job is to proclaim him and that we will have the words that we need. When we get off onto silly little explanations or this or that, when we lose the center of the church, then we are in peril. But when we keep Christ in the center, him crucified and raised from the dead, proclaimed out into a world that needs to hear it right now, then we've got it right. So blessings on each of you as you hear the good news, as you share the good news, and as you live the good news. Amen.